Empire. Welcome to Inside the Cap. I'm your host, Joel Corey. You can find me on Twitter at Corey Joel. That is C-O-R-R-Y-J-O-E-L. And also, you can read my regular agent's take column at cbssports.com. This week, we're going to be looking at a couple of things. One, the Ben Roethlisberger contract restructure with the Pittsburgh Steelers. J.J. Uh, Watt finding a new home with the Arizona Cardinals. And also, some of the implications or ramifications of having a lower salary cap in 2021. First, we're going to go to Ben Roethlisberger. Roethlisberger has agreed to take a $5 million pay cut from $19 million. It was what he was scheduled to make in 2021 down to $14 million, which to play out the final year of the two-year extension he signed um, a couple years ago. His salary cap number was a league-high $41.25 million. Now, that needed to be lowered for the Steelers. That was just untenable. What happened was Roethlisberger agreed to the pay cut of $5 million and lowered his base down to his league minimum $1.075 million. Steelers converted $12.925 million into signing bonus. Um, to lower the cap hit. And the Steelers did something that they typically don't do. It's uncharacteristic for the Steelers to add four dummy slash voiding years to a deal. The reason teams add voiding slash dummy years to a deal is you can prorate a signing bonus through the dummy slash voiding years. So they're able to take the $12.925 million in signing bonus and spread it out over five years through through 2025. And in doing so, they're going to lower Roethlisberger's cap number to $25.91 million this year. Now, it's going to consist of his $1.075 million base. That's $2.585 million of proration coming from this new restructure renegotiation. Last year, they did a salary conversion to create cap room. So there's $9.75 million of proration from that move. And then he signed the extension in 2019. There's $12.5 million of proration there. So that's how you get the $25.91 million. They've created $15 million, $15.34 million of space in doing so. By getting this space... The Steelers now, their top 51, once you, after you factor in um, carryover room um, from last year, puts the Steelers at, according to NFLPA data, $3,117,086 under the cap. So, yes, now the Steelers are technically under the cap. Can't really sign anybody with a little over $3 million. Um, but they're not a team which goes out and makes big splashes in free agent anyway. Free agency anyway. Now, ramifications of these um, four dummy years. Whenever you do that, when they void, that's when you have to pay the price. There's a cap charge associated with those years. In each of those years, there's 2.585 million of proration. 
So, when those years void before the start of the 2023-2022 league year, there's going to be a $10.34 million cap charge for uh, the uh, Steelers next year. One way around that could be they could take the voiding 2022 year and borrow a concept from Drew Brees and what Drew Brees did with his contract because he has voiding years. The Saints have been a team which have used the voiding years more so than anybody else. Is convert 2022 into a real year. My understanding is the dummy years for Roethlisberger have minimum base salaries, which signifies or that he's not going to be playing after this year. And his minimum base League minimum base in 2022 was $1.12 million. So you convert that one year into a real year, push the voids back a year, or push, and then you're going to have a cap number of $3.705 million sitting on the books. And if you don't want the proration to hit in 2022 from those dummy voiding years since you pushed it back a year, it's what the... Um, Saints are doing. They chopped Breeze's base salary down from $25 million to his league minimum, same as Roethlisberger's, $1.075 million. They are delaying the proration in the other years for Breeze till next year because they're going to carry him until June 2nd and then put him on the reserve retired list or cut him at that point. So their only cap charge is the proration associated with 2021. You'd have Roethlisberger. And if you did so, then you'd only have a $2.585 million cap charge for Roethlisberger in 2022. But in 2023, you'd have a $7.755 million cap charge. So I would look for that as something which could happen next year. Or they could just take the full hit in 2022, be done with them, clean in 2023, and it's $10.34 million. Now, the interesting thing is he took the pay cut. Now, he kind of opened the door by saying shortly after they were eliminated by the Browns in the playoffs, it <laughs> didn't matter what he made next year, which I'm sure made his representatives cringe because you never want to hear a player say something like that. And obviously, he didn't care what he played for, what he'd be playing, or he would be playing for his league minimum. But um, that's beside the point. Now, the interesting thing is, by taking the $5 million pay cut, <laughs> Steelers only got $1 million more of cap space than if they had had him play for the 19 and converted 17.925 million into signing bonus. <laughs> there would have been 14.34 million of dead money that way. This is kind of a little reminiscent of Peyton Manning to a degree, what he did in his final years, the Broncos. They asked him to take a pay cut. He took a one down from 19 million to 15, $4 million pay cut, but he had the opportunity to make him back in incentives based on him being on the field, I think 7% of the time during the regular season. And the, and he got half of it back for uh, the Broncos getting to the Super Bowl. And the other half back when the Broncos won the Super Bowl. So he was made whole. Now, was $19 million really too much for Roethlisberger? Depends on how you look at it. Would someone in open market, another team, if he'd balked, been willing to pay him $19 million? I doubt it. <laughs> but let's look at that compared to average starting quarterback salaries. Well, was Roethlisberger... An average starting quarterback, first half of the year, definitely. Second half of the year, maybe not. But if you think he's average, then you need to take a pay cut. And here's why. The average starting salary 
or contract average for quarterbacks in 2020, if you include rookie contracts according to NFLPA data, was $20,254,339. You remove rookie contracts from this equation, and it's all veteran contracts, then that number jumps to $26,882,455 per year. So, did he really need to take a pay cut? Now, what if uh, he'd call Pittsburgh's bluff on a pay cut? Would they have actually cut him? Yeah, they'd have picked up more room that way because they'd have picked up $19.25 million in space. That's the most they could have picked up and just moved on. But apparently they think that they can be more competitive with Ben Roethlisberger than without. But that is one that we can put to rest now, and Pittsburgh does have a little bit of breathing room under the cap. What's up? It's Mike Jones from the Football Jones Podcast. I know you're enjoying your time with Inside the Cap, but once you're done, I want to invite you to come over and check out my podcast. Each week, we take a deep dive into some of the most pressing topics around the NFL, high-profile guests from the coach, player, and front office ranks, as well as the top league insiders. Check out the Football Jones Podcast, another fine product brought to you by Empire Media. J.J. Watt decided to sign with the Arizona Cardinals, which was a little bit of a surprise because most people thought he would go to a team which seemed more like a, an immediate contender than won a Super Bowl. The Cardinals didn't make the playoffs last year, but are in the toughest division in the NFC, or maybe in football, the NFC West. Watt signed a two-year, $28 million deal, which is worth up to $31 million with incentives. Now, in terms of the uh, upside, it's based on sacks. He gets um, $1 million for 10 sacks in 2020. Um, and if he earns the, the sack incentive, then it also escalates his 2022 base salary by a million. And also there's a sack incentive in 2022 as well. Um, he's got $23 million guaranteed. 20 of it is fully guaranteed at signing. He's got a $12 million signing bonus, a $2.5 million base salary in 2021. He's got an $11.25 million base salary in 2022. There's a $6.25 million guarantee. All, all, the $6.25 million is guaranteed for injury at signing. But $3.25 million um, of that is fully guaranteed at signing. The other $3 million becomes fully guaranteed on the fifth day of the 2022 league year. Now, he's got a $2.25 million fifth-day league year roster bonus in 2022 that is guaranteed for injury right now, and the skill and cap guarantees kick in first day of the 2021 league year. I'm counting that as part of the full guarantee, so that's 20 fully guaranteed at signing of the 23. He's supposed to make 13.5 in 2022. J.J. Watt's cap number for 2021 is 4.9 million. How do you get a 4.9 million dollar cap number when you have a 12 million dollar uh, signing bonus on a two-year deal? Well, you add voidable years, voiding years. He's got three voiding years, 23 through 25. Automatically void, from my information, last day of the 2022 league year. When you do that. You can take the signing bonus, and instead of having it count $6 million on the cap in 2021 and 2022, you get to prorate it all five years. So it's $2.4 million on the cap in each 21, 22, 23, 24, and 25. Now, what that means is when those years void, in 2023, Cardinals are going to have a $7.2 million cap charge. 
from those years of voiding. Because you got $2.4 million of proration in the each in the 23, 24, and 25 years. That's 7-2 total proration that hits the cap in 2023. So they're cheating the cap. That, may, that makes this 2022 cap number $15.9 million. So he's under contract. $4.9 million cap number 2021. $15.9 million um, cap number in 2022. Now, J.J. Watt also has no trade clause. Um, that's not all that unusual for the Cardinals. Uh, they gave one to Larry Fitzgerald. Um, typically, you don't see a lot of non-quarterbacks with them, but they gave one. Fitzgerald's first bout Hall of Famer. He's been Cardinals his whole career. He, if he retires this year, he's going to be one of the few players that play in a lengthy career with one team. Then they gave one to DeAndre Hopkins when he did an extension back in early September, which made him the highest paid non-quarterback in the NFL. And that probably stemmed from the Fitzgerald um, no-trade clause. So after Hopkins and Fitzgerald get one, then obviously J.J. wanting one, um, he gets one. Now, I really didn't think J.J. Watt would come in this high. Uh, I thought it'd be a little lower. I, I thought maybe the market at best was going to be uh, the Jason Pierre-Paul type deal. Jason Pierre-Paul signed a two-year, $25 million deal to come back to Tampa um, last year in free agency, which maxes out at $27 uh, million through uh, sack incentives. So J.J. did a little better than that. And if you have multiple teams pursuing you, maybe you can leverage them against each other. But for a guy who has an injury history, hard time staying healthy, I'm surprised there aren't per-game roster bonuses in this deal. I would have wanted to insist upon per-game roster bonuses with J.J. Watt because he rarely plays 16 games in a season. More power to him that he didn't get them or have to contend with those. Um, and maybe because he's on the market as a free agent, that became a non-issue. Now, there's one guy who may be most impacted by this deal, Von Miller. And the reason I say that is Von Miller is in an option year. Uh, well, the Broncos have a window to pick up an option on his 2022-2021 contract year. They'd like to have him back. But Von Miller has a $22.125 million cap number, makes $18 million this year. The option period opened five days after the Super Bowl um, and runs up until prior to the first day of the league year. So that's March 16th is one day prior. So that's the window. They basically have another 10 days to work something out. If they pick up the option, $7 million of a $17.5 million base salary is fully guaranteed. Interestingly enough, not only Von Miller and J.J. Watt first round picks in 2011, they're born four days apart in the same year, 1989. Uh, Watt, March 22nd. Miller, March 26th. So, (laughs) a lot of reasons why it might be a good comp. Um, Both first bout Hall of Famers. Um, Miller missed all of last season with an ankle injury which required surgery. Now, the best thing for him, which makes it so the Broncos could go forward since they do want him back, he was under some sort of criminal investigation, um, which was open in January, and they're not going to file any charges. So that's one less obstacle at least standing in the way. Miller's not operating from a position of strength because of the injury. Also, 
Um, some might say 2019 was a down year by his standards. He had eight sacks, which was his lowest sack total when he's played a full season in his career. But he had 77 quarterback pressures. So that was eighth. And by pressures, I mean uh, combined quarterback sacks, hits, and hurries. So he was still putting pressure on a quarterback. And the 77 pressures was more than he had in 2018 when he had 64, but 14 and a half sacks, more than he had in 2014 when he had um, 73 pressures, but 14 sacks. And in 2019, Chandler Jones had 19 sacks, but 75 pressures. So if I'm Miller's camp, I'm like, hey, he's still the same guy. <laughs> but if I'm the uh, Broncos, I'm pointing to the fact he, he's on the wrong side of 30, sacks were down, he's coming off an injury-plagued season. So J.J. Watt would be the type of compensation I would expect to be a guide for any type of thing which has worked out with um, Von Miller. If not, they can't work anything out. They don't pick up the option. Broncos get $18 million of cap space. Also, they've got Bradley Chubb, who came on, so that can also be used as leverage against them. Now, good thing is, in terms of not likely being an incentive standpoint, since he didn't play last year, there's a lot you can do, because what you did the year before, um, anything you did the year before is likely. He did nothing the year before, because he was hurt. So, that means anything he does is considered not likely to be earned. So you could load up incentives as a way to bridge the gap of any difference they have. Now, if you did exactly for Von Miller what you did for um, J.J. Watt, and you did the same structure, made 2021 a real year, gave him a 2022 year, so it's really a two-year deal at $14 million, and it maxes out at $31 million, because there's... $4 million of bonus proration already sitting there, and another 125 from a guaranteed workout bonus. You could get Von Miller's cap number down to uh, just about 13.1. I mean, I mean, you can get it down to 9.025 million and pick up 13.1 million of cap space um, for 2021 if you if the parties agreed that this J.J. Watt deal is appropriate for Von Miller and you structure it the same with three dummy years. So keep your eye on this Von Miller thing and see if he's willing to play ball with them and stay put or he wants to take his chances on the open market when we have a decreased salary cap. Hey there, it's John Kime with the John Kime Report podcast. I'm glad you're enjoying the Inside the Cap podcast with Joel Corey. When you're done, I invite you to listen to my podcast. Twice a week, my guests and I discuss the Washington football team and the NFL. The show features numerous NFL insiders, former and current players and executives, and taps into the insight gained in my 25-plus years covering this franchise. Check out the John Kime Report, another fine product offered by Empire Media. The 2021 league year, which starts on March 17th, is going to be one like we haven't ever seen. That's because the salary cap is going to take a pretty steep drop unless something changes between now and the start of the league year when free agency opens. And that's because the uh, coronavirus pandemic created uh, reduced revenue, a revenue shortfall. So the cap's dropping. Um, 
Originally, back in July, last July, the NFL and NFLPA agreed to $175 million salary cap floor. That's been raised recently to $180 million. But that being said, the anticipation is a cap won't be above $185 million or much more than that. So what we're seeing is the cap dropping back to a level between uh, what it was in 2018 and 19. In 2018, the cap was $177.2 million. In 2019, it was 188.2 million. Now, the problem with that is teams do um, cap planning really in three-year windows or periods, and nobody was anticipating a revenue drop. Nobody could foresee the pandemic, and you could project that the cap might have been 210 reasonably in 2021 um, without a pandemic. So you got teams who were planning and did deals last year, and I think I read somewhere where Brandon Bean said had he known that things were going to be the way they were, he may have made some different decisions last year in terms of uh, assembling talent and roster building, so maybe he wouldn't have made some of the free agent signings he did. And um, that's probably the same for a whole lot of other teams feel the same way. But if you're talking, you're thinking 210, could be down to 180, so it could be as much as a $30 million difference, something's got to give. So one thing that I think we've started to see, and we're going to see a lot more between now and when the league year starts on the 17th, is guys getting cut or guys being asked to take pay cuts. Now, um, guys who rosters whose roster spots normally wouldn't be in jeopardy are going to be in jeopardy. And there was one middle of last week that was announced that kind of came out of nowhere. Dolphins plan on releasing um, Kyle Van Noy if they can't trade him. Now that it first came out, they're going to release him. <laughs> Typically, nobody's going to want to trade for him unless they really, really want him. And Van Noy signed a four-year, $51 million contract in free agency last year. He's got a $12.5 million base salary that's guaranteed for injury. It's signing. It becomes fully guaranteed on the third day of the league year, March 19th. So if he's gone one way or another, most likely through a release, the Dolphins evade the salary guarantee and pick up $9.775 million in cap space. And this basically, if he's cut, turns to a one-year deal for $15.025 million. So um, regular year, cap goes up, he's probably safe. Now, because you're going to see a ton of guys released, simple economics, market is, supply is going to exceed demand. Market's going to be flooded with guys who are released in addition to the guys that have expiring contracts. So, if supply exceeds demand, then we're going to have a buyer's market. <laughs> and if it's a buyer's market, then teams have the pick of the litter of who they want. So outside of the marquee guys who I think are going to get paid regardless, your top free agents, whether it's going to be one of the receivers if they're not franchised in a Chris Godwin or an Allen Robinson or a Kenny Galladay, they're going to get paid. If Shaq Barrett's not uh, franchised, he's going to get paid. Top guys get paid regardless. But it's everybody else that should be worried. (laughs) Because if you got teams who got a ton of supply, (laughs) and you've got some teams that aren't going to be in free agency like they normally would because of tight cap situations, then you have less suitors as well. You very well could have teams who put clocks on offers and go, you know what, we're only going to pay so much. We got X amount allotted to this spot. If you don't want it, we'll find someone who will take it. So players could be faced with um, taking mediocre or subpar 
long-term deals or trying to sign a one-year deal and come coming back at it in 2022 when it should be a better salary cap environment. Um, TV deals should be done by then, but I don't know exactly what that's going to mean. I don't know if that means things get back and they're going to have a huge dump uh, of money, infusion of money, so the cap takes a huge jump like it used to when new TV deals were done, and it stays more or less flat after a while, or it's going to be phased in like it was this last time, and then the cap starts steadily increasing. Hopefully we get back to where the cap currently is at $198.2 million next year, but that's a choice you may have to be faced with. And if you're a younger guy, I would be very hesitant to sell out my prime earning years for what I think is below market. I'd be more inclined to go the short-term route, the one-year deal or maybe a two-year deal, because you would think by 2023 everything will be back to normal, and then you can hit it again. Um, Because if you take the subpar long-term deal now, you're going to be unhappy in a couple of years, and then you're at the team's mercy for them to uh, correct your deal, because holding out isn't what it used to be, because fines become mandatory $50,000 per day. So that's something I think you uh, you have to see. But those teams, uh, to, to take a look look at what could happen. Now, those teams that got a ton of cap room, <laughs> they're going to be in a position to really um, upgrade the roster should they choose to participate. Teams like the Colts, but the Colts are probably going to be more concerned about re-signing their own, like a Quentin Nelson, a, a Darius Leonard, or a, a Braden Smith. Jaguars have a ton of cap room. They can be major players. Jets can be major players. Patriots can be major players if they want to. The Washington football team can be major players. Um, So won't necessarily be uh, a year where you'd want to be a free agent. One thing you might see, and you're starting to see it with some of these deals that have been done, like J.J. Watts with avoidable years, more creative uh, contract structures. And some may call it just lazy, kicking the can down the road. But say you got a guy who wants to sign a one-year deal and you really can't afford a cap number on a one-year deal. How do you do that? You add one voidable year, maybe two. You can add up to four. So you have a lower um, cap number this year, but there's a cost to that that since it's a one-year deal, then you're going to have uh, dead money next year because those extra year years are going to void and you have a cap charge. So let's say you have a, uh, a guy who wants to sign um, a one-year deal, and it's going to be $4 million. Give him a $3 million signing bonus. And if you add two dummy years where it's prorated through 2023, you get a cap number $2 million this year as opposed to four. Uh, if you got a $3 million signing bonus, $1 million base, but there's a $2 million cap charge in 2022. So that's how that's going to work. Now, another thing you may see is this type of structure, which people had kind of gotten away from, at least with veteran contracts. It's starting to come back a little bit. Uh, the signing option bonus structure. We saw Buffalo do it for Davius White and also Deion Dawkins. And you saw the um, Browns do it with um, Miles Garrett, who became the first $20 million per year non-quarterback. And with Austin Hooper's free agency deal, um, which made him the first tight end to ever sign for over $2 million per year. Now, in the signing option bonus structure, we already know a signing bonus can be prorated over five years. Now, an option bonus... Um, gets prorated starting in the year it's exercised, which uses the second year. It operates kind of like a second signing bonus. So if you can pick up the option, say for a guy signs a contract this year, the first through fifth day of the 2022 league year, so starting in 2022, 
then that's when the option bonus can be prorated. And it can be prorated also up to a maximum of length of the contract up to a maximum of five years. This structure is used where the final year typically is an option year and the bonus is to pick up that final year. So you'd have a low first year cap number with the signing bonus. Then you have a low second year cap number because the option bonus proration takes up a pretty decent portion of the second year salary. Then the third year, fourth year, if there's a fifth year, then uh, cap numbers start to balloon. But by then, 2023, hopefully things have normalized. Now, a big problem with this um, structure is you got multiple sets of proration. So if things go wrong and the guy has to be cut, it can be painful for the team because you're going to have signing bonus proration and option bonus proration, which means a lot of dead money. Now, a player is more vulnerable to structure because there's a window the first through fifth days to uh, cut the guy. They could get out of it. Now, the way agents attack that is if the second year is guaranteed to ensure that the um, option gets exercised, you have the base salary guaranteed where it's going to reduce um, if the option's exercised. If not, it's going to be at a higher level. So the team is kind of forced to do it because they can't handle the higher cap number or you sometimes in conjunction or instead of have a non-exercise fee where if you don't exercise the option and the players on the roster um, a day after the period ends then he gets a bonus a non-exercise fee in the same amount as what the uh, option bonus would have been which would also be prorated so but they don't get the extra year so that's a couple ways you could attack um, that now one thing you don't have like you have in the NFL, in NBA, I should say, is you have to spend a certain amount each year. In the NFL, there's a minimum team spend, but it's now over a three-year period in this new CBA. It used to be a four-year period, now it's three. So the clock starts over for 2021. So you could see teams not spend money this year, not spend money in 2022. Then in 2023, since you have to hit 90% of the cap in cash over a three-year period, you could spend big in 2023 after not spending in two years. So that kind of ties into the teams who have tight cap situations not wanting to spend. So you could see that as well. Um, a byproduct of the cap going down is the way franchise tag numbers are going to go down. Uh, we discussed franchise tag numbers in a previous uh, podcast a couple of weeks ago. Um, we're not going to go into much detail for that. You can just listen to that one instead. But collectively, they're going to drop about 8 to 9%, depending upon where the um, cap is ultimately set. And that's because of the way the methodology works. It's a complicated, convoluted formula when you're talking about non-exclusive tags and guys who don't have the 120% provision kick in because it's whatever the formula kicks out or 120% more than your prior year's salary for guys who are franchised. Last year, like Justin Simmons, Dak Prescott, the 120% raise part, the 20% raise part is going to apply. But really, it's called cap percentage average in CBA. And what you do is you calculate the average of the top five salaries in each of the past five years of the position. You add that number together. You divide it by what the salary cap has been the previous five years. You divide those two numbers into each other. You get a percentage of how much each pos- that pos- uh, position will take up under the cap. You multiply that percentage by the upcoming cap, and that tells you what the number is going to be for position. Now, running backs has been going down steadily 
for the past few years because of this whole five-year thing. And the running back number is going to go down again. Um, Derrick Henry's was 10.278. So this year, running back's going to take up 4.743%. So it's going to be really the 8.5 to 8.8 range. Now, that may make it more affordable for a team like Green Bay, which is why maybe Brian, uh, the GM, Brian Gutekurs said, um, uh, putting franchise tag on Aaron Jones is uh, a possibility. Um, that's because the value of the franchise tag is lower than the value of the player. Jones thinks he should be top-tier running back money. The bottom of the top tier is $12 million. Panthers are going to put a franchise tag on um, Taylor Moten. His worst-case scenario should be Jack Conklin, $14 million per year, uh, which is what Conklin got last year in free agency. Um, probably maybe looking at the top of the right tackle market, which is uh, Lane Johnson, $18 million. But you put a tag on an offensive lineman this year, it's going to be like between thirteen five and $14 million, depending upon where the cap sets. It's going to be seven point. 7.536% of uh, the cap. Now, uh, there's another byproduct. You're going to see lower restricted free re, lower restricted free agent tenders, and also you're going to see fewer guys getting restricted free agent tenders. So, if you got a guy who is a backup and the tender amount is going to be in a worst-case scenario this year, uh, 2.133 million if you're undrafted, <laughs> then why would you put a tender on him if you have cap problems when <laughs> that's going to be way more than he's worth? <laughs> so you could see teams which have uh, less likely to tender these guys as restricted free agents. So uh, <laughs> those guys have to hit the open market and their league minimum salary for is going to be a whole lot lower Uh than it would be uh, getting the tender because the third year salary minimum is 920 this year. So <laughs> teams are going to make that uh, cost, bet anal- cost benefit analysis and go, eh, I can't afford a guy at 2.133 uh, in that case versus uh, trying to get him to resign for, for <laughs> league minimum. But one thing you, you, you will see is because the methodology changed in how um, tenders work, the restricted free agent tenders. It used to be under the old CBAs, goes up a minimum of 5%, maximum of 10%. So you had a guaranteed raise. Now this year, it depends on which tender level. If you are one with just matching rights, it stays the same because it's the percentage increase of the cap, no increase, then it's flat. Now, if it was uh, original draft round compensation, uh, then it's going to be cap growth plus $50,000, which means that tender this year is going to be $2.183 million. First and second round tenders, cap growth again plus one twenty-five. So that means they're going to go up 125000 from uh, last year, which means the first round tender is going to be $4.766 million. Um, second round tender, $3.384 million. Now, under the old system, they go up 5%. So the right of first refusal only and original draft round compensation tenders would have been $2.24 million. And the first round tender would have been $4.873 million. And the second round tender, 
4.22 million. I think over time, once the cap grows, um, players will be better off with the new methodology. But for this year, because no one uh, could foresee a pandemic, tenders are going down. But as I said, you're going to have teams which don't tender restricted uh, restricted free agents. Or they're going to do something like uh, the Texans did in 2004. Because I remember we had a restricted free agent with them. <laughs> and they tried to get cute. They would give you the tender. And since these tenders are not guaranteed, they don't operate like franchise uh, tenders if you sign them. Or transition tenders is fully guaranteed. Uh, you're unsecured if you sign a restricted free agent tender. The Texans decided to get cute. And wanted to, uh, in 04, give people tenders, then come back out and take pay cuts. Going, hey, you won't be able to get this on the open market. Take a pay cut and we'll work with you. Some people called their bluff and they left them alone. Some took the bait and some who called their bluff got cut, depending upon how valuable you were to the team. But I wouldn't be surprised if a team made a tender and tried to pull that Texan shenanigans again, uh, like in 04. Hopefully I didn't put anybody's, uh, anyone who's listening, I didn't put it in the team's head to do that because I really wouldn't want to see that. But anyway, uh, these are some of the things to look out for in this depressed 2021 salary cap environment. Um, that's going to wrap it up for this week. Thanks for listening. Uh, don't forget you can find me on Twitter at Corey Joel, C-O-R-R-Y-J-O-E-L. And also read my regular agent's take column at cbssports.com. We'll see you back here next time. Goodbye.